You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Oinger. As always, joined by Sean Kennedy here to address the big question. Would the Clippers be up 2-0 if they had kept Doc Rivers? Ooh. <laughs> well, you can't blow a 3-1 lead unless you win at least two games. So I guess that would be... <laughs> you can still blow a 3-2 lead. This is true. It, it, that's still within the po- realm of possibility here. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. That's That's got to be the most surprising result through this first week of the the playoffs right yeah it's definitely the most surprising um everyone every other ones you could tell me like i mean most of the east series like some people would say they would have expected miami to take a game off milwaukee uh you know nuggets blazers the blazers coming out win game one was a little surprising and stuff the grizzlies taking game one off the jazz but now down 2-0 and like Basically, Luka, Luka Doncic basically has the entire Clippers organization in jail right now because they are just terrified of him. Yeah, they have no answer for him, which is strange because you would think, oh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, two of the better perimeter defenders in the league, if anyone would be equipped to you know, go against a premier guard like Luka, you would think it would be them, but they just... I don't know what it, the scheme, like the, just whatever they're doing is not working. They're pressuring way too far out and they keep falling asleep on screens. They're sending, they send pressure at the wrong time and let every, they let the, they constantly let Luca and guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. turn the corner around screens. And it's just, they're letting them get into their defense, like penetrate the entire game. And it's like, yes, they have great defense, some great defensive personnel, but that really doesn't do much when, your team defense as a whole really seems directionless and just trying stuff to figure it out. Like the Lakers kind of works because the Lakers kind of know what they do as a team on defense where it's a lot of, I mean, you can switch AD on everything and then you also can pressure up their guys and they rotate so fast behind it that they're really just trying to, they're trying to push the defense farther and farther out. It's like more of a direction to what they're doing. Similar with the Sixers, it's always like the Sixers trying to not switch and go play and beat and drop, have their perimeter defenders go over and bait teams into mid-range shots while contesting from contesting from all angles with their length. Like there's these like purposes to their defense. And the Clippers defense right now is just like, I don't know, maybe this guy can guard Luca. Maybe this scheme will work. And it seems like they don't have an answer. But the, of course joking because this is a Sixers podcast. We are not going to spend the entire time talking about the Clippers and the Mavericks series, which although as you said, Sean, it's it's been very entertaining in the most surprising series of the first round. Um, the Philadelphia 76ers are up 2-0 on the Washington Wizards. Uh, had a very had a close game one where they were trailing at halftime and through a good portion of the third quarter before coming back. And then 
I mean, game two, like it felt like it should have been even more, but the Sixers just dominated from the start, winning 120 to 95. Yeah, as a as a Sixers fan, you can't help but be encouraged that everything has gone about as well as you could hope. Um, game one was weird just because the refs decided to that they were the most important part of the playoffs, and those particularly two of the fouls on Joel were really bad, and that kind of changed the whole context of the game with Joel really limited in the first half with three fouls. Um, when he was out there, they were still dominating. So even though the game was ended up being pretty close, you weren't too concerned about things. And then game two, yeah, the, the starters just dominated when they were out there. And then uh, the bench also had a really nice game and it was kind of the Matisse and Maxi show in the early fourth that really put the game away and let the starters get some extra rest in the fourth quarter. So yeah, as we, we kind of talked about it in last week's pod that we really didn't expect Washington to offer too much of a challenge to the Sixers. The Sixers are just the more talented team. They don't, Washington just doesn't have the guys to match up with the, the, the top three guys for the Sixers um, especially. So yeah, that's kind of played out how we expected. And uh, the only downsides would be, we'll talk about each player more. That's what we're going to do in today's pod. But but Shake, in being in one of his ice cold spells. I, I'm, I'm not ready to talk about Shake. <laughs> that's probably a big one. And then uh, we just got to hope that Tobias and Seth both tweaked ankles in games two. Tobias came back into the game. Um, Seth didn't. But we just got to hope that those aren't too serious. Um, but otherwise, yeah, everything's been about as good as you could have hoped as a Philadelphia fan. Yeah, like you said, they can't match up. The Wizards quite literally can't match up with Tobias Harris. They just do not have a matchup for that at all. <laughs> they're, they're just grasping at straws left and right. Yeah, they, they play the three-guard lineup to start, which that's already not going to work when the Sixers have Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and Tobias Harris because – if Ben's being aggressive, like we saw in game two, and just bodying up Russ or Beal or whoever's on him down low and and scoring pretty easily, that's going to be a matchup you can exploit. If you have one of the guards on Toby, whether you try it initially or if the Sixers were doing a good job getting like Neto on screens, on like switches onto Tobias, and then Tobias was just abusing that, uh, like that's easy two points for Tobias every time down. Um, yeah. Uh, Hachimura is just, I don't think he's quick enough. Uh, so when Tobias is on matched up against him, he can kind of blow by him a little bit. And it's not like, even if he doesn't blow by him, it's not like Rui is a tremendous defender. So mm-hmm. Toby can still probably work his way into the, the mid range jumper he wants, um, in any case. So, yeah, I mean, other options for them. It's like Bertans is, has the size, but he's, uh, he's <laughs> yeah, a turnstile. Gavis Bertans couldn't guard. Yeah. What do you want to? What do you want to like put it as the lowest thing Davis Bertans couldn't guard? Because I, I mean, the guy can really shoot. It's and we all know that he's still a very good basketball player. But man, like, he just cannot. He's like doing the thing that Furkan used to do, where he would he holds both his hands up and just backpedals whenever someone comes at him. Except he's even slower when he's doing it. So it's just obvious that he's not getting around in time, and then he's committing the foul. He just cannot stay in front of anyone. And then also, like, he's not even offering anything that's like an 
off-ball defender when they're not attacking him. Like, his rotations are late. He seems out of place. He's not physical, not willing to run through tight spaces, basically. Like, he's just not doing anything for them on defense. Yeah, he's a complete zero on that end of the floor. Um, and, yeah, I don't – they don't – and, like, we talked about, they really don't have – wing defenders like i see wizards people talking and they're like oh we need to see more chandler hutchinson because he's oh, no, the they, only no you do not <laughs> like, I mean, also their wing defender at this point is bradley beal because he's so strong in his court he doesn't just get moved off his spot by ben really and he can force some tough shots but that's about it like just hoping that bradley beal is so freakishly strong for his size that he can hold up and he he like to be honest like he has had some nice possessions where he forced bad shots, but it's also like, geez, you guys are asking so much of Bradley Beal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about individual players, and but Beal's been tremendous. He's, oh, yeah. so, you want to get into that, like, because that's that's like the for today's pod, we're going through and like giving player grades, basically report card grades, and if we just want to start right there, Bradley Beal, I gave him an A plus. Like, I think Beal has been sensational. He has. Um, be- before I talk about Beal, I just to kind of uh, put a ribbon on our earlier discussion. Mm-hmm. The the Wizards, the three, there's roster construction. Just there's no way it can work against the Sixers. It's it's probably the worst possible matchup for them going against Philadelphia. Uh, there there are probably teams where you know having three guards out there and pushing the pace and like that could that could work. But the Sixers just are the rare team in 2021 that have tremendous size up and down the roster so it's just well i mean I it's think so easy there are teams with size and like in modern basketball like and plenty of length but not it's more, not more about size and is strength combined with size because yeah it's it's size that you can use to, to score effectively against smaller players dudes. yeah so right. like and they can just bully people inside yeah it's it's yeah it's not Oh, we have a six nine stretch four that he shoots threes and he does nothing else on offense. Like that's not the case with these Sixers guys. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, so if we want to get into those player grades, like just starting from the top, and we can go with some of the Wizards. Like we'll spend more times on the Sixers players probably, but like Bradley Beal had thirty three points in both games. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I mean, he's really hard to stop. The Sixers are spending a lot of energy trying to, and he's still been really good. Like I yeah. said defensively he's given them something that's just like with his strength but like, i have a ton of respect for him but i don't think it's going to be enough yeah uh you gave him an a plus i would do the same like if you're washington right now you can't ask beal to do anything more than he's doing um he's as you said he's kind of garnering the toughest defensive assignment of of the three guard lineup um and he's undersized and he's, he's doing his best i mean Ben scored a few off him in game two, but he's battling at least. It's not like he's just giving up easy mm-hmm. points because of a lack of effort or anything. He's just being put in an impossible situation. Uh, and then offensively, like he's got Ben hounding him. He's got Matisse on him. Like these are top tier, all defense caliber guys. And Peel is still getting his, like he's running everywhere, all over the court offensively, like to try to tire these defenders out. His, his motor is incredible. He's just doing some savvy, uh, like change of change of speed, like off rhythm, uh, pivots around to just create just enough space to hit some really tough mid range jumpers. He's, he's getting to the rim occasionally and, and, and converting there at, 
I don't, I don't know. Like the Sixers are doing everything they can to stop him. And like you said, he's got 33 in both games. He's just been, he's been tremendous. I tweeted out that I would really, as a basketball fan, like to see Beal with like a, a functional roster before his prime's over, because this is a, this is a top tier talent scoring the basketball. Like there's not too many guys in the league that would be doing as well as he is offensively in the series. He's, he's just been awesome. Yeah, like the only thing I think anyone, maybe a Wizards fan, might complain about rightfully with Bradley Beal in this series is that he still doesn't, he still takes a lot of mid range shots as compared to three point attempts. And he has, I mean, he's only two for 12 from three in the series, which feels wrong, but that's what the stats say. Like, he, I mean, it's just, you do put a limit on yourself offensively as a small scoring guard when you have to like work so much for stuff inside like that. But I mean, still overall, like it's a very, it's a very like precise nitpick. To probably a little too far. He's been great. Um, as for the Sixers, like the one player I, I, I mean, most of the grades for the Sixers players are good that I'm giving them. But Tobias Harris gets the A plus for me. I think Tobias has been just great. Obviously, game one was fantastic. They just set him a ball screen. And as soon as he gets his shoulder past anyone, he can. He's driving to the rim. The Wizards have no rim protection. Like Daniel Gafford, when he's out there, is basically the only sense of a rim protector they have. Like Lo- even Robin Lopez, who used to be like good at just challenging stuff, just hasn't done that as much this series. They sometimes try and swipe in and get the ball from Tobias on his way up. He just basically keeps both his hands on it. And even though it looks awkward, he'll do the thing that he looks like a he looks like a taller eighth grader playing out there who can't use his left hand sometimes going left, where he'll still just clutch, double clutch it. But because he's bigger than everyone else, he'll still finish even if it looks weird and he's just been amazing. Like I had this one step from cleaning the glass in terms of like short mid range accuracy in the first two games, the Sixers had finished with like, what is it? Uh, I had it here. Basically they shot. Um, oh, here it is like 63% on short mid rangers in game one. And then around 60 looking, looking, looking around. Ah, she, Okay, maybe no, maybe it was worse in game two, but I know basically in game one, Tobias was making every short mid-range shot he took, which is just great. I, I think Tobias has been great. Yeah, A plus for me as well for Toby. It it you can't really overstate the importance of what he did in the first half of game one. Joel gets those fouls, he's out of the game. We've seen not only this year, but years past how the Sixers offense can just crumble with when Joel is not on the court because it's basically designed around him and everything they do is kind of catered to his strengths and him being out there as the fulcrum of the offense. So Joel's out and suddenly it wouldn't be too surprising to see them kind of fall apart. And Washington offensively was playing well um, in that game. So you, you could, envision a scenario where the Sixers are down like 10, 12 points going into halftime. And uh, it would have been a, a harder road to come back and maybe Washington's able to steal a game, you know, and everything around this, the narrative of the series is different if we're heading back to Washington one, one, but instead, you know, Toby took it upon himself. Like, Hey, Joel's out. This is, this is on me now. And he had 28 in the first half of that game uh one off of his previous high for a playoff game as a whole just in the half like he was we've talked about you know 
extensively how the Wizards don't have anyone to guard him. So he, it's one thing to say that, but it's another thing as a player to recognize that and be aggressive and do what you need to do and be efficient at a high volume. Um, he's in game two. He did the same thing. He was eight of nine in the first half from the field. And uh, he missed a couple shots in the second half. I don't know. Maybe that was his I ankle. Being... Not the second half really for the six or starters, because that basically was just like, they needed to play normal for like, eight minutes and then the wizards are basically just done so yeah for sure but to of toby considering how bad the first two playoffs he went with as a member of the sixers went like you've seen the three-point shooting splits in the playoffs i don't even want to look them up because they'll be unrecognizable to what he's doing (laughs) now like and like he had the one i think in the second half where he was just dribbling up the right wing ben simmons sets him a ball screen the wizards fall asleep for a second and both defenders are like under and Tobias, like, doesn't even take another dribble. He just, like, gathers right then, rises up, swishes a three. It's like, he just didn't do that in years before. Like, literally no hesitation. Oh, I'm going to make this. And it makes you realize what has made the Sixers so good this year is it's like they have the six eight six nine ball handling forward who can just rise up for three when someone drops underneath a ball screen. That's really hard to stop, and it's just so great to see. Yeah, yeah. I- it's been night and day for him in terms of his playoff production through these first two games compared to past seasons with the Sixers. Um, yeah, hit, hitting those those shots from outside that, you know, all all previous playoffs, even when he was going through cold stretches, I think people still wanted him to take those open shots more because that does so much to to help Joel and Ben in terms of providing spacing and he is one of their better shooters even in periods of past years where they weren't really falling. Like you still need him to take those shots for the offense to work. So yeah, just the fact that he's so confident and aggressive in in pulling up and and taking those shots now, it's really beneficial for the Sixers and their offense. And yeah, what more can we say? Like Toby's been great. Uh, I guess we'll just wait and see if he continues against a team that like has a functional forward defender. Um, but yeah, you can't ask for him to do much more right now. Moving on to the other Sixers starters, uh, Joel Embiid, like you said, had the foul trouble in game one that limited him, limited him for a time in that game, but then he basically closed it out, hit all those mid range shots in the fourth quarter, finished with 30 points. I put him at an A for right now, not an A plus just because he hasn't exploded in typical Embiid fashion, but it's like, I tweeted it last night. It's like, oh, Embiid's been really quiet this game. 22 points with three minutes left in the third. It's it's unbelievable. So it's still just like, I, I'm not going to give A plus because it's like Tobias Harris is playing well and he's playing even better than I think he did during the regular season. Embiid is basically just walking out there and doing what he always does, which is unbelievable. So that that's really all I'd say. It's like, he's great. He's Joel. <laughs> yeah, A plus would be like if he was putting up 40 a night. Like that's... That's the kind of exceeding expectations for Joel. Like, and you know, it's very possible he drops forty-five in Game Three. Like, he can always. Oh yeah, it, it's it's not like he's not capable. It's just that the Sixers have so much working for them right now that they don't need him to do it. Which is it's good. I mean, for their, their they need to make a long playoff run. We don't need to put the the wear on the tires of Joel being the guy who touches the ball and and grinds it out in the post or whatever every possession down the court against these this Wizards team. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I would give an A minus. Um, he had some a little bit of a turnover issue in game one. Uh, he wasn't as effective on the defensive end, and that was mostly just him doing everything possible to not get any more fouls because the, the refs were being so ridiculous. Um, he, he finally turned it up in the fourth quarter of game one because he, he said, like, oh, I, I still have three fouls to give in the fourth. I can go back to being, you know, who I want to be on the defensive end. And that's when the Sixers really put it away because they cranked up the defense. And a lot of that was Joel feeling free to, to play how he normally does. Um, so, yeah, I mean, other than that, we he's Joel Embiid. He's a finalist for the MVP award. The Wizards don't really have an option to defend him, which is the case for 95% of the teams in the league. Uh, he's been he's been very good. I'll, I'll go A- minus for Joel. What do you have for Ben? Because I gave Ben Simmons a B plus, you know, kind of averaging out between maybe game one was like a C kind of performance from Ben and game two was an A. Because, and like, it's, I mean, it sounds very like cliche because of the way just he scored a lot more than he did in game, that he did in game two than in game one. Um, the free throws in game one were a concern. Like, 0 for 6 is just, it does make, it does make you like kind of like brace yourself because, you never want to see that happen. Um, defensively, I think he's been really good. Even like, even when Beal was getting his in game one, like Simmons, basically Beal had to do it like a lot of getting the ball and then driving to attack because all those like cuts off the ball, Simmons was like top locking and making him work. Like he's, again, he's making Bradley Beal work to get what he ha- has to like off the ball because he just won't leave him alone. And then he was... I don't even know. Like everyone always says, when Ben scores more, it's because he's being more aggressive. But then I feel like in the games he doesn't score a lot, it's because he's just missing more of those shots around the rim and being forced to take more of those floaters. Because I think it's more about like him getting his fi- finishing moves synced up right. Like because he just has awkward footwork where it's why he takes all those weird leaners where he just doesn't have the right cadence to get around guys. But then you saw in game two, like when he goes like full speed Euro in transition. When he gets that Euro step down right, it's like never it, – it always ends in a two-handed dunk like that no team can stop because if he gets his feet footwork timed right, he's so fast and so tall that they just can't stay in front of it. It's much like much like before like the wall strategy was developed to counter Giannis, how he would just like drive to the rim, and if he got his Euro step right, it's a dunk every time because he's just too fast, too tall. So I, I think like it's a long-winded way of saying like, yeah, not Ben's – Game one wasn't good for Ben, but I still like think he's been really great defensively. It does all the things that he usually does. And then game two just got some of his finishing moves synced up better. And that makes him a good score. And when, when you get good scoring games from Ben, games from Ben, Tobias, and Joel, like all over 20, like they're just not going to lose. No, they're not. Um, I wouldn't be quite as harsh with the game one grade. I, I'd probably say like a B for game one. Yeah, this, the offensive stuff wasn't good uh the, the free throws are going to hurt you like over six isn't going to cut it but defensively he was great the the stat that kept getting thrown around was beal was one for six with three turnovers when ben was guarding him well, that, um, that match, the matchup data is like yeah the, it's it's it's, it's a little fuzzy it's a little fuzzy but I, I mean looking the eye test ben was playing great defense so it doesn't it supports the narrative. Um, <laughs> Sean, I know ball Kennedy. <laughs> and uh, like he, the 15 assists and 15 rebounds, like, yeah, rebounds aren't 
the be all end all. Like it's not the the 1990s. We don't really put as much value on rebounds, but he was creating a lot of second chance opportunities for the team. Like just crashing the offensive glass. Like those are extra those extra possessions. I don't I don't know. Like if you how how they advanced analytics people assign like a point value to creating an extra possession for your team, but it it's really valuable. He was making a lot of high level passes on those assists. Like his, his full court feeds in transition now that like navigate oh, their the, way oh, the through. One to, the one to George Hill was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, that, that was incredible. He had one in game two that uh, he threw to Seth and Seth, missed the jumper he it was like a pull-up three but mm-hmm. it was another one where ben just kind of like whipped it with one hand after getting the rebound and it like found its way through four different people uh, in traffic and hit seth right in the pocket and uh that was like he's just making those kind of plays routinely um but yeah the the scoring in game one that that would bring it down to like a b but then a plus game two like that's everything you want to see from Ben that that first quarter <laughs> that was about as well as I've seen him play I guess um and that's in in one sense that's what makes it frustrating for people is that they see these stretches where Ben plays like that and it's like oh why are you also the guy that just disappears sometimes it's and I and I understand that that frustration from people um but when when he just kind of more generally you you were saying like oh this is when it's it's more about the footwork and just getting his rhythm down i i I do feel like there are times where he doesn't seek out those transition opportunities as much like Mm -hmm. he doesn't he doesn't drive forward with the same momentum and really get into an attack mode like we did see last night so that's that's one thing where i think oh it's not just that i think there is some kind of like mindset thing to it where he needs to be thinking of scoring more is seeking out those transition opportunities and then there are also times where he gets it against a smaller guy but rather than like using his size and strength and going forward towards the rim he kind of settles for these weird like fadeaway hooks and you could say like oh well sometimes he hits them and sometimes he doesn't and that's the difference between what we would call a good scoring game for ben and a bad one but i think it's more about just like going forward and recognizing your size and strength advantage or being passive and just kind of like accepting, Oh, the defender's there. Let me just throw something up. Um, And I think against Washington in game two, it was more of the the former where, Oh, I have Bradley Beal. Yeah. He's a strong guy for his size and good core strength, but I'm a strong guy who's also a half foot taller. So let me go towards the rim and really finish strong. And, uh, he did the same against Russ or when Bertans, you know, tried to flop and <laughs> fell, fell to the ground and then Ben dunks like those, those are different kind of plays than when Ben's in his more passive mood and everyone's complaining. Like that's the kind of stuff Ben doesn't do then. Um, so yeah, I think <laughs> for this Sixers team to reach their peak, they, they need Ben to be like what we saw in game two. Like, yeah, he's not a he's not a bad player when he's playing like in game one. He's still really good and does a lot of things to help the team. But when when he and Doc say like, "Oh, I don't understand why people get down on him for performances like game one," don't they see everything he's doing? Like, yeah, there are the people that are knuckleheads and are just like trolling or whatever. But there are also people like that have seen Ben play like he 
has played in game two before and are just curious slash frustrated at the fact that he doesn't do it more often, I guess. So Mm -hmm. hopefully that uh, he will going forward. As for the other two starters, uh, Seth Curry and Danny Green, I gave Seth a B plus and Danny Green an A minus. Um, Seth, basically, I mean, we don't know Seth's value pretty much all derives from offense and getting a shot going. Uh, obviously had the ankle injury in game two, really hoping that is nothing. You know, honestly, they could probably even rest him for a game or two against the Wizards and they probably will still be okay. But he does, like we've seen before, mean a lot to their offense just with his spacing and ability to run ball screens and dribble handoffs with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Um, Danny Green has only taken nine shots in two games and he's made six of them. He's just not like game two, like he just didn't do anything because they really didn't need it that much. But on ball against Russell Westbrook, he has played some really great defense. I, I, I will give myself a pat on the back for writing a big piece saying that it should be Danny on Westbrook for the series. And that is what's happened. And he's done a great job just because the thing Danny doesn't want is off ball movers who use screens well and then get downhill off of that. He's much better with guys who want the ball in their hands and like he can back up against because he is very strong. He is still very strong with long arms. So I, I think Danny just by not hurting the offense in any way and playing great defense, that gets him an A minus. And then Seth, you know, he's basically doing what we expect him to maybe not going crazy or shooting as well as we might want, but like still very good. So B plus for Seth, A minus for Danny Green. That's fair. I'm I'm right around there. I I'd agree with the A minus for Danny. Uh, you know, he was three for four from behind the arc in game one and playing that great defense you talked about. So for your your role player three and D guy, that's that's the blueprint. That's what you want him to do. Game two, he was quiet. They didn't really need him to do much, but you know, still hit that one three backpedaling to the opposite corner, which I, I tweeted at you. Was that was that was that a reverse Danny Green cut? I was trying to think of a way to respond to that where it was just I would type out Danny Green Danny Green cut but all backwards <laughs> but like I figured that wasn't worth it in the moment yeah uh so yeah he's been he's been really good um not, not much more you would want Danny to do he hasn't he hasn't even had any of the the dark dark side of Danny Green plays like the, that the, just make you scratch the, your head the AU trademark, my brain is on fire moments of Danny Green. Right, like, yeah. We... <laughs> nothing bad yet. Uh, he even had, if you want to know how bad Davis Bertans is as a defender, Danny Green had a pump fake drive and finish at the rim where, if you're getting beat off the dribble in a straight line by Danny Green, oh boy, like, that's, like, do we want to transit? we can transition to that, some of the other Wizards players, just touch on them real quick. Um so someone like Davis Bertans, who in game one hit four threes, gave, like does what he has done against the Sixers before, which is just give them a lot of trouble as a shooter. Like that might have been like an a, a near A game from him just because as a bench shooter coming – as a shooter coming off their bench to have that much of an impact on the game, it means a lot. But then, I mean, he was getting memed to death last night where – we're recording this on Thursday morning, but 23 minutes, 0.6 fouls, <laughs> flopped, like just – could not stay in front of anyone. So I'm giving him like a C minus for the series just because it was very two very different games for Davis Bertans where game game one, like you can make an argument. He's probably one of the three most important players. Game two, he couldn't be on the court, literally. But at some point he got disqualified. So I, I think that's about fair. And then another wizard, I mean, 
Russell Westbrook, like, oh boy, he is he is not he is not making any jump shots at all. He has missed the rim several times on bank shots. He's been out of control defensively. Like he's he'll do have occasional play where he overpowers someone physically, but like just gambling at the wrong times, getting caught sleeping, doubling at the wrong times. Basically, all of his value right now is all those rebounds and a couple of assists. He's just I gave Westbrook a D minus. However, I will say to that fan who poured popcorn on him as he left the game of injury, you get an F for life, banned forever. Like, that was just disgusting, whoever did that. Yeah, no place for that. Um, Sixers PR did just release a statement while we were recording this saying they've revoked his season ticket uh, holder status. And he shouldn't be allowed, he, at, he shouldn't be allowed at other Philly sports events. Like, I don't, yeah, he, that was just a, like, and the thing is, like, it's like there wasn't even anything. What there was, it's already horrible. And there was nothing Westbrook did to deserve that. Westbrook was not like trying to go out of Fender said He was literally walking off the court with injury. And you, yeah, he was getting like, helped off the court. There was absolutely <laughs> no reason to do that other than you just want to be a complete jerk. Yeah, the, it really heinous. And now, of course, everyone's going to recycle the Philly fans are terrible people narrative because it's one person. Yeah. So that's... instead of the story being that the Sixers are dominating the Wizards and look really great right now, it's this fan is this fan is a jerk. What what's yep. wrong with Philly? Yeah. Uh, you again, F F minus forever to that person. Yeah, uh, that person is also banned indefinitely from any events at the Wells Fargo Center. So good. Hope hope that indefinite gets moved to a definite um with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yeah, but uh, in, in terms of Russ's on-court play, it, it hasn't been great. Uh, he's averaging five turnovers a game. He's 0 for 5 from behind the arc. He shot 2 for 10 overall in game two. Uh, he, he's doing a little bit to you know, set up his teammates with his, his drive and dish stuff, which I guess is helpful, but he had a few like dump offs in game one to Gafford and Len and Lopez when he like drives going downhill, but that was also too, like you said, Embiid being worried being back there. So that was some of it, but that's probably the best thing he's done. But like, that's again, it's like, ah, so Russ's best, Russ's best contribution to his team has been that he's occasionally found like rollers and dunker spot guys on drives. Yep. It's rough. Yeah, it is. And as you said, defensively, he he just gets lost. He doesn't have a good knack for uh, when to double and when to get back to his man. So he gets kind of caught in no man's land a lot. And and that's that's led to a lot of easy points for the Sixers. Um, yeah, it's it's honestly like I feel like I'm more worried when Ish Smith is out there than when Russell is. Oh, can we talk about Ish Smith? Because I had some stuff like, first of all, I mean, I've the timeline's just flooded with Ishmith content when you follow Kevin Rice, just flooded <laughs> with it. <laughs> Shout out TKR. But um Ish, I did see Ish is like his shooting numbers for the series. He is in game, let's see, I had it right here. Game one, he was three for nine. In game two, 
he was five for 14, which is the eternal reminder that no matter how cool every shot Ish Smith, every shot that Ish Smith makes looks cool, but he's not actually, actually shooting a good percentage. It was the same thing when he was a sixer all those years ago. Like the percentages are bad, but because every shot he makes looks incredibly cool, you think he's like playing amazingly. So I actually gave Ish like a B, but that's the thing. He's still been good. Like he's been, he's been played better than Westbrook. I, I don't know what else to say. Ish Smith has played better than Russell Westbrook so far. And yeah, agreed. It, it is kind of sad, but like he does like occasionally, like he can beat some of these Sixers guys off the dribble. It's right now only him and Bradley Beal who can beat anyone off the dribble for the Wizards, which it's a problem because, like we said, the Westbrook, like you would think he could, but Danny Green just sits back the whole time and then not afraid of his shot and can hang back there. So gave Ish Smith a B. The other former Sixer playing, Howell Neto, uh, he really hasn't done much. He hasn't hurt them, but I would say like a C plus for Howell. Like that's yeah, about, it he's just it's been, kind, it, he's been it's okay. Kind, yeah, he he hasn't done anything particularly wrong. It's just like a why is he out there? What is he really bringing to the table for for you if you're Washington? Like it's not like he's some elite floor spacer that's really helping you in that regard. Uh, he doesn't have the ball in his hands, so it's not like he's helping you know, set up others at all. So you just have a guy who's out there as a defensive liability because not because he's a terrible defender himself, but because his presence is forcing you to play these weird three guard lineups where you're suddenly at a guaranteed mismatch against the Sixers. So I just, nothing, nothing that he's done particularly wrong and not that he's at fault, but it's just like, what are you doing with Neto in the starting lineup if you're the Wizards? I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, like I guess like a C because it, it's middle of the road. He's, and he's not the problem. Yeah, he's not, he's not the problem, but his being a starter is probably a big part of the problem, mm-hmm. I guess is, is how I would phrase it. Um, still love you, Howell. Like, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I was fine with Howell. Like, I never – Ish Smith is like a beloved sixer. Howell Neto is like a sixer. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> They're all our guys, though. Oh, fair enough. Uh, Daniel Gafford is the other Wizards player I mentioned. It's like someone I would give a B to because I just think, I mean, he can finish all his dunks. He occasionally protects the rim, gets in trouble as most young bigs do against Embiid, like getting baited into fouls. But I still think he's played pretty well when he's been out there. Um, the other Wizards centers around like C's for me and Alex Lyon and Robin Lopez. Uh, Robin Lopez is interesting because Again, it's like the Ish Smith thing. Like, because the hook shots look cool and very <laughs> memorable, you think he's playing really well. But then you watch, like, I mean, once they got Tyrese Maxey out there on it, it was basically someone gets switch here, get Lopez in a pick and roll defense. He's not going to be fast enough to stay with him. So th- that was kind of a problem. So I would give them both C's again, not the problems. Um, any thoughts on both Gafford or Len or Gafford, Len or Lopez, the, the three of them? Well, Gafford, I think, has played pretty well and he's the one that if if any of the wizard centers are out there Gafford's the one I want to be out there the least as a guy rooting for the Sixers Mm -hmm. um I think he prevent he presents the most problems for for Philadelphia he was six for six from the field in game one which is just him like finishing dunks and shots around the rim after like dump offs or whatever else but if you're Washington that's what you need him to do you're going to have you know, Westbrook and Beal and 
ish with the second unit with they're going to be the ones that have the ball in their hands and you just need to have Gafford be a rim runner and lob finisher and he's doing that he he provides a lot more energy defensively than you know either Len or Lopez uh yeah sure he's young and you know prone to be overexcited and fall for some of the Joel tricks that uh many guys in the league do but at least he can you know, rotate defensively, pro- provide some rim protection with like good verticality. Whereas, as you said, Lopez is getting a little slow in the feet at this stage of his career. Um, and Len has always been more of a, a plotter. Um, so yeah, Gafford, I, if if I'm Washington, I would be giving him a lot more minutes. I, I mean, I know foul difficulties are what they are with him because he, he does foul a lot, but uh, game game two, he only had one foul and he only played twenty minutes. Like I, I don't know why that's well, the Sean, case. they have to they are obliged by law to start <laughs> Alex Len for the first six minutes of every game. So I don't yeah, know it, what they're going to do there. <laughs> it, it's it's really weird. Like I if if I was a wizard's like if I was running the wizard's espionation site, I would be writing an article every week about how ridiculous this three headed center experiment by Scott Brooks is. And and calling calling for Gafford to play like at least twenty eight minutes a game, mm-hmm. it. Uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, glad that the Sixers get to go up against this uh, failed experiment. <laughs> it's certainly helping them, so I mean, that's it, good. It, they have played the three in a rotation during the second half of the season when they got hot. But like you said, just it does seem pretty clear that Gafford's their best option out there. Um, other two Wizards players, I just wanted to mention a. Uh, like we said, Rui Hachimura, I gave him a D just because even if he makes some shots, like my guy has no chance defending Tobias Harris, which is maybe not his fault that he's got assigned to that, but like it has not gone well. He cannot navigate around ball screens. He gets stuck behind them so often, just not, he's not going to get around it in time. And then on the other end, he's just not basically all his offensive contribution at this point is just make, occasionally making an open three. He's not going to cut it. And then it feels mean because he only played in game two, but he got 16 minutes in the game two. And man, Chandler Hutchison, dude. Oh man, that was like the Sixers again, like like of Rolo, but even worse. They were just getting him in every pick and roll. He could not stay in front of everyone. There was one ball screen, I think, for Tyrese Maxey that Dwight Howard set where Maxey wasn't even setting it upright, but then Hutchison sl- slid the wrong way and ran himself into the screen instead of like Maxey setting him up to run into it just really incredible stuff. And then on offense, like he's not, he can like, what does he try to take his first shot? And I think Matisse got a piece of it. Yeah. It so, was a classic Matisse uh, block on the jumper. If it's like, the, who was the other one? I think it was a Cavs game where the third Cavs game, the one they won where poor like Broderick Thomas subbed in first shot of the game. Matisse jumps from like the free throw line and swats it. It's like, you just got to suck. If you're one of these subs on the other team where <laughs> you get in the first play of the game, you're like, ah, here we go. First shot of the game. And just yeah. this, this, like, this wild octopus man, Matisse Thibel jumps from out of nowhere. and steals Yeah. The ball from you. Yeah. You're cold. You've been, you've been sitting down for two hours. You, you haven't played live basketball action maybe in like two weeks. And then all of a sudden Matisse is, going at Mach 10 on the court, fully warmed up, like frothing at the mouth to reject everything in sight. And here you come just trying to get off a casual mid-ranger. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's a tough spot to be in, I'm sure. Um, yeah, Hachimura, like, I don't know. I'd give, 
he is three for three from behind the arc, so he's at least. But it's at only, least that's the thing you just explained it there. It's only been three attempts. Right. Uh, if, if that was like, it, I would be much more concerned if that was like ten for twenty, because just the volume there makes a difference. You can get away with leaving good. Like I think it's been explained before. Like yeah, you know what really doesn't matter if you shoot forty percent from three, but you only take like three per one hundred possessions. Like, is this Tony Snell we're talking about now? <laughs> even but even like Tony Snell shoots a little more than that, and also Tony Snell literally has not like I saw him miss one shot in that Knicks Hawks game yesterday. It, it was like bizarre, and he doesn't miss anymore. But it's like the way you threaten defenses is with volume. It was like the whole Marcus Smart conundrum from years is that now that he shoots better percentage, it's even more real. But like even when he was shooting like thirty two percent from three, because he took so many, that volume and willingness to take them kind of forces the defense to guard you in some way. Like you have to be horrifically bad from three to take that high of a volume and still not garner some gravity, some respect from the defense. If Hachimura just isn't shooting them, that really, it's just not enough. Because basically like he's not doing, he's not contributing to the offense. It's only happening occasionally. Like occasionally Westbrook kicks out to him for like once a game for a three. Fine. The Sixers will live with that. Right. Yeah, they definitely will. Um, this this kind of feels like a corollary of the best ability is availability. It's like the best skill is having the will to to shoot or something. <laughs> uh, I, I like that. I, I like that. Do you want to move on to like? Um, yeah, let's go back to talking about the Sixers. Guys. Yeah, I was gonna say because we mentioned Matisse, uh, one of four bench Sixers. I gave some variation of an A to. I gave Matisse an A thus far. I gave Tyrese Maxey an A, George Hill an A minus, and the one and only B Ball Paul an A plus 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 plus. B Ball Paul is, it was so perfect the first first minute of playoff basketball, lob for a dunk right away, yeah. wasting no time getting it out of the mud. Nope, not at all. Uh, I mean, realistically, I give him an incomplete, but if you want to give him an A plus, no. that that's perfect. Sean. Okay, Sean. <laughs> Just like that one fan, you are now banned from talking about <laughs> football. I, I guess, yeah, he he did everything you would want for him to do in his five minutes of action. It was the perfect B-Ball Paul playoff debut. Um, yeah, uh, George Hill's been been really good, uh, in, especially in game one. He was just yeah. the the steady veteran presence that you want. We'll, th- we'll say it again. It is unbelievable they have a guard as normal as George Hill. <laughs> He he's just, he, he's the most he's normal basketball player I've ever watched. <laughs> he just does everything like, oh yeah, he's pretty good at that. Like, yeah. solid basketball player. Yeah, yeah, just he hits hits shots if he's open. He's good enough off the drive that if he's against a a slower, bigger defender, you, you feel good about his ability to get to the rim. Uh, he'll, he will pull up if you give him space. Yep, he'll do that. He's a good defender. He knows how to navigate screens. He knows when to switch and when not to. He makes the proper rotations. He has a little bit of a, a drive and kick game to him. Like he can set up for others a little bit. And mm-hmm. he knows how to. There was a play in game one where his man went to double Joel and he immediately cut to the rim and Joel found him. Easy, easy layup. Like just knows how to play basketball. Like, we, we've talked in past years about how the Sixers just didn't know how to move off ball when Joel was getting those doubles sent at him. And, and part of that is Joel 
you know, reading those plays and he has gotten better at that, but also it's, it's teammates knowing what to do when Joel has double teams coming at him. And George Hill's a guy that knows what to do. Uh, he's, he's played great. Uh, I think we're even going to see his value more against harder teams where having a guy who doesn't take anything off the table like George Hill is going to become even more valuable when you're up against Milwaukee and they're trying to hunt a weak defender or something because they have multiple guys who can attack and hurt you off the dribble or whatever. And having George Hill on the court as a guy who can guard, you know, probably four different positions credibly uh, is going to be really valuable for the Sixers. Like he, he, he looks like a seamless part of this rotation and uh, yeah, just a great, get by Daryl Murray at the trade deadline. Mm. And Tyrese Maxey, like, <laughs> ooh, just on like, maybe I should have even gone A plus. I, I thought that might've been an overreaction, but man. <laughs> also the, the crowd just loves Maxey so much. It's unbelievable. He, he could do anything. It's, um, oh shoot. Like, cause I remember me and when we had Dan Volpone on all of, all the way back at the start of the season. And we talked about like, um, me and him were referencing spongebob jokes i don't think you do you so have you watched spongebob i've seen the show i i don't know most of the references so maxi is like when they do the talent show and wherever they just have spongebob like stick his hand out there like everyone goes crazy like you can just he'll be mopping like the floor and everyone just loses their mind it's um it's pandemonium or just does he literally could just walk up and down and everyone's just gonna go crazy for him I, and it's great it's exactly what they should do he's it's just it shows you how important like just speed is in modern basketball he gets to places faster than other people get to them and that's kind of all he needs he's five for eight from the field overall in the series have had more he's like now he's at the point where like a Tyrese Maxey block in the lane is like kind of expected he's going to get one of those each game like great just exactly what we wanted from Tyrese Maxey in his debut so far I'll bump it up to an A plus for Maxi. <laughs> I'll stick with an A for him. Uh, Banned from talking about Maxi. A, a plus for me would be like, oh, he's he's hitting like those pull up threes or something. Uh, we haven't seen that yet. That's that's what will get the plus for me for Maxi. But you you're a, you sir are a hater. <laughs> Clearly, uh, yeah. It, I started laughing when in the second half of game two, he checks in for the first time and he literally got a standing ovation from the crowd for checking into the game. You, you were there at the li- our draft live stream. We all lost our minds when it was Maxi because we knew this dude is good. Like he fell in the draft. He, 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 is, he is good. And it's very, it's very different to be excited that a great rookie prospect falls to you at 21 I and giving a rookie who scored three points in six minutes in the first game of the series a standing ovation for entering the game for the first time that's 18 for 36 come on now Um, I I love Maxi and I'm I'm not even saying I mind it it's just it's very funny to me (laughs) like can you you, didn't you tweet that like Philly fans are such odd ducks yes we are um that was i did that and that i thought that was another example of it um yeah but you're right maxi his speed is just it's just a dimension the sixers don't have and we we talked about it throughout the season that his ability to get to the rim even against small quick defenders is just 
it just adds that dimension that the Sixers need. Um, and he also has looked great defensively. Like the the budding Matisse mentorship of Tyrese with the the rear view blocks and contests and how uh, Maxi had one in game two and immediately went over to, to Matisse and got like a, a, a big high five was that was really fun to see yeah maxi and matisse thibel making a late push for our best uh best on team bromance yes through, like, definitely award yeah they they've gotten the postseason bromance award so far for sure uh, yeah so yeah maxi's been he's been amazing to to watch in his uh 20 minutes of action um he's certainly making a case to get to get more minutes and if if shakes minutes okay, went okay, to, to Maxi, I, I wouldn't mind now. one bit. <laughs> oh, fine. Shake is one for seven from the field. I do want to say, I think it's... He's one me- for nine from the field, my friend. Shut up. It does not fit my narrative, so therefore it is false. Um, <laughs> he is... Um, <laughs> how dare you come in here with those objectively true <laughs> statements. Uh, shake, like, I think it's a little harsh of everyone that whenever the Sixers are losing the non-Embiid minutes to just blame Shake. Because again, they ask him to do the hardest job on the court, basically, which is run the offense, create shots, often for himself off the dribble. It is not an easy job by any stretch. That's what they asked him to do all season. So that's why it was going to be up and down. Like, I do think there is something to people just looking for a scapegoat that the Sixers, as is tradition, lose in minutes overall when Embiid is not on the floor. When Embiid is not on the floor, the hopes are two things. If Tobias is out there, then it's let Tobias go to work, get himself going. Hopefully he keeps it up there. In other minutes, when it's the all-bench laps, it's basically like just play good enough defense that you only lose these minutes by like four, and then we come up, come back out there, the starters again, and they just murder someone. Like that is the goal of those bench minutes. But because Shake is the one who kind of has to take the shot sometimes and he misses them, like that's – if you're talking about Philly fans being odd ducks, it feels very weird that – it's something as variable as just shoot night to night shooting and that shake has had two bad shooting games in a row that everyone feels like it's the end of the world for him. Like I did, I did appreciate our friend AU pointing out that uh, shake Milton is taking on all the bad karma vibes. So the rest of the team can rock out. (laughs) It was very admirable of him. Um, That's that's a, that's a good point. (laughs) Like it's, I think it's good. The, the other six are like we can mention too is Furcon has not been good in the first two games. He got a little bit better in game two, but I think defensively Furcon, like it's pretty clearly he's he's out of his out of his stretch like in some of these plays and hasn't really it's a sim- similar thing with Furcon. Like it's hard to it's hard for him to do too much when his shot isn't falling because then the other things he's good at, which is an occasional drive to size and ball handling or like a lot of what Furkan does derives first from him being like hot shooting the ball and that hasn't happened yet. So I would say you can give shake and Furkan D's so far as what I would say for both of them. Ooh, harsh for Korkmaz. I, th- I think they've both been bad, but the thing is like, I think it's both because the, a lot depends on shooting, shooting. You can sometimes go hot and cold. Everyone who's played basketball knows that. And they've just had two, both had two bad shooting performances thus far. I'm not going to say like, it's impossible that like they turn it around. So that's my long-winded spiel of saying, stop being mean to shake. <laughs> okay, you've you've made some fair points regarding we shouldn't be heaping as much vitriol onto shake, but if we're looking at grading these two games, 
and just how has he played in these two games? He's been awful. Like, I'll give him a I D minus. I, I gave him a D. I, didn't, I, didn't I know. Have I know. <laughs> I'll give him a D minus. Only not an F because he was playing hard defensively in game two. So that that's brings like, it up. That's like telling someone you, they're a nice person before you break up with them. Well, I, I said I'm ready to give his minutes to Maxi. Like, that's that's the equivalent of me breaking up with him. <laughs> I, I know. And I like the thing is, like, I still like, I love Maxi too. So, like, it's, it's ultimately fine, but it's also like, I still believe in Shake, man. I still believe in him. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Really, realistically, you can't play this 11-man rotation against teams that aren't the Wizards. Like, we're, we're going to have to whittle this rotation down. So, it Dwight is, you know, he's the backup center. He's going to be one. Matisse is playing amazing. He's going to be another one. George Hill, we just talked about yeah. how valuable he is. He's and a third. You're, like, you're already at eight, and you're thinking You've, nine. It's like, it's between Maxi. Maxi uh Furk on and shake and you're thinking Maxi's playing the best of them right now. Yeah, it's it's pretty clear that he is. Um I would prefer a nine man rotation. I would be willing to do a ten possibly if Doc configures it so it's not an all bench lineup and he just mixes the other guys in and no, it's it that, that one follows the Alex Len rule. Like it's obliged by law that Doc Rivers will play an all bench lineup for six minutes every <laughs> at least six minutes every game that will get outscored by ten points. Uh it, it is frustrating. I'm really hoping that yeah. it's just a because oh. it's Washington thing and he's not too worried that he's just trying to keep get A get the young guys some like postseason exposure and then for guys like Shake who you know, like try to get him right more than anything um because if if he plays an all bench lineup against like milwaukee or brooklyn in in the conference finals i'm gonna be furious <laughs> but hopefully hopefully that won't be the case i'm trying to imagine the all bench lineup like when the nets have like joe harrison harden out there like i mean at least you still have again that's the whole thing it's like defensively they're still good enough that they can at least suffice it's not like the old days with Greg Monroe where it's like you're just going to get murdered in these minutes. But um it's yeah. But they all the all bench lineup defense or on offense, as yeah. you said, it's like, oh shake, try to create something. And if there's gonna be a three minute stretch in a conference finals playoff game where we're just leaving our offense to shake try to create something, that's not gonna cut it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's rough. Um, but one other six of rotation guy we didn't give a grade to was Dwight. Uh, I would just say B. He's been Dwight. Got a tech. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, it, like uh, he's gets rebounds, plays solid defense, does Dwight things. The crowd loves him. All good stuff. Um, do you want to give Mike Scott an A for not playing? Well, he played game two. Well, for not playing. He played, for he not played playing his meaningful minutes. Right. Uh, he played as many. He played more than Paul Reed. So if uh... you do not understand that a play to narratives, my friend, like <laughs> in, in my mind, Mike Scott has like been sec. What is, Mike, Mike Scott is in like the shadow realm right now, whereas Paul Reed is shining before us. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Um, this, this could actually help your Paul Reed uh, a plus grade though, because Paul Reed in less playing time than Mike Scott put up a, a four three with one block stat line, whereas Mike Scott was zero for one with no other stats. So, Paul yeah. Reed seized seized the reins when given the opportunity, whereas Mike Scott continued to fade into the background. Uh, That's right. 
<laughs> yes, Mike Scott not being clearly not a part of the playoff rotation is uh, that's an A plus for Doc Rivers for that decision. It, it took a long time <laughs> to get here, but eventually do that. Uh, so, you, Sean, you feel like the Sixers going to win Game Three on Saturday? I do. Uh, even if if Seth's not a hundred percent, sit him, and I'm perfectly fine with like Corkmoss sliding in as a floor spacer with the starting lineup. And then I feel like that would actually help kind of clarify the second unit rotation too. Um, yeah. Get, make sure our guys are hundred percent. Don't throw any of them out there a little gimpy. Um, yeah. Washington is, as I said earlier, I feel like the Sixers are the worst possible matchup for the wizards. Um, and I, I have, zero like reservations about their ability to win the series and i i feel like they're gonna sweep mm-hmm. i i mean i could still see the wizards taking one game especially if beal like loses his mind in game three or four but that's the thing he's he he's played as as well as you could possibly I mean, expect bradley beal 30, to play really he's had 33 in both games what if we get like a 45 piece from him like that's possible i, I don't know like he he's playing awesome and this is with Ben and Matisse like all over him. Like, I, I just don't feel like there's there's much room for improvement from Beal right now. I feel like he's doing about as well as he could be be expected to. Uh, I don't know. You and that, you remember that one tweet from CJ McCollum? I'm trying Jennifer. That's that's <laughs> CJ to like. I'm not C. That is Bradley Beal to like the entire Wizards organization right now. I, I'm trying. Yeah, he is. He, he's been awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I realistically, I can't see him doing much more. And they're still getting smoked. And the only reason game one was even relatively close was because Embiid got in foul trouble, which was not Embiid being like dumb. And I would expect like, oh, Joel's not being smart about his fouls. Like this could be a problem in the series. That was just the refs being awful. Um, so I wouldn't expect that to be a problem again. Uh, like and as we've said, the Wizards just cannot defend the Sixers like mm-hmm. at all. There's there's across the board the matchups do not work. Like so, they're going to be able to score. I, I like if one guy has an off game, it doesn't matter because there's plenty of other matchups the Sixers can go to. And for Washington, and we I, I mean we we haven't even mentioned like Russ left the game because he was hurt. Yeah. Like if if they're suddenly starting Ish Smith like. Well, we just said we, we just we just said right, but we said which has been a huge problem for the Wizards. If the Wizards were going to steal a game or two, it was because Russ went back to like a month ago when he was putting up thirty point twenty assist games. Like that's what they needed to be able to steal a game. Like it's not Ish Smith suddenly coming in the starting lineup and him continuing to play slightly better than how poorly Russell Westbrook has played for the first two games. That's not going to steal a game for Washington. Well, it's clear that the Sixers must experiment with how far they can go. Like ultimate sign of disrespect, rest some of the starters in game four, start B-ball Paul, <laughs> try and get, try and get him a double double in the playoffs as a rookie. Like it's, it's clear. That's what it's come to. Oh, uh, if, if B-ball Paul, gets five minutes a game throughout the rest of the series. I think everyone will be very happy. That'll, that'll bode well for the Sixers. Happy indeed. And we're all happy right now. Just pretty much the only thing that could cause come down right now is, is that Seth injury turns out to be more than it is, but it seems like he's fine. Uh, that's probably going to wrap it up for us this week. Great talking to you as always, Sean. And you are a 
b-ball paul hater do not forget it <laughs> this is not true this is a, a false narrative you constructed much like your i don't want seth to win a bell ringer narrative and uh yeah so hope to <laughs> hope to talk to you next week when we can uh kind of just probably look back look back on a sweep like picks or hawks yeah, look back on a sweep and just talk about which of the Knicks Hawks hotly contested series we want to come out as the victor. That'll be a nice spot. All right, talk to you next week, Sean. Thanks for listening, everybody.